Thanks, Bruce. Uh, congratulations, Stephen, Laura, and Jeff, and good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Yan, and I'm part of the Pastoral Search Committee. I have the high privilege and distinct honor of introducing our speaker this morning, Pastor Eric Venable. As you may know, he's a pastoral candidate here at CLC and spoke two weeks ago from our virtual pulpit. And today, you'll have a second chance to hear him teach. Pastor Eric comes to us with an amazing set of leadership experiences, having pastored large churches, including Menlo Church in Silicon Valley and Sunset Presbyterian Church up in Portland, my hometown. He has also led several servant ministries, including city team ministries in San Francisco and the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition in Santa Clara. He's founded ministries, he's authored books, he's given many seminars and keynote speeches. I don't know about you, but when, when I hear a resume so stacked, it, it can be easy for my eyes to glaze over. But for those who have led, uh, led anything, uh, what they know is that what a huge challenge it can be to lead and how impressive it is for someone to have done it for so long and done it so well. But my personal experience with Pastor Eric has only been a few hours talking with him on a couple of occasions. What struck me there wasn't his big resume, but rather, besides what a truly nice guy he is, his comfortably deep relationship with God, his strong love of mentoring people and building teams, and most of all, his posture of humility and willingness to learn. Without knowing it, he recently inspired me to start reading a book about the holiness of God by A.W. Tozer. It's always impressive when someone is mentoring and teaching you without even really trying to. Thanks, Pastor Eric. So without further ado, Pastor Eric Venable. Well, good morning, Jan. Thank you so much for that uh, very um, uh, warm introduction. Boy, uh, I'd like to meet me someday. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's very, very kind of you. Thank you. Um, uh, it's good to be with you. And uh, this morning, we got up, my wife and I got up really early to take um, our oldest daughter, Audrey, uh, to the airport as she goes back to school. School starts, uh, her university starts um, tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, And uh, so uh, she's on a flight. And uh, so uh, it was great having her home, grateful that uh, her school is um, you know, is, is actually live and going and they're able to meet. And, um, and, and she, as she described it, she says, everybody there is really grateful. So they're re really being like, all the students are really being um, uh, on high alert uh, for the COVID, uh, for COVID. But it reminded me, uh, one of the stories I wanted to share starting this morning is one of my favorite stories because college is that kind of uh, creative and fun age. And uh, one of my favorite stories comes from the University of Texas where um, a student was taking his uh, uh, upper, upper level math, you know, upper level math class final. And uh, the professor leading up to it, as they're going over, you know, talking about what the, what the exam would be said, you know, uh, in this, this exam, you can have a sheet of paper and you can write down all the formulas, anything you want on one front and back, one side, on, you know, on one paper. Uh, you can have anything on the paper. And so, the student did, David, the final comes in, lays the paper on the floor and has a graduate student in math come and stand on the paper 
<laughs> and then over his shoulder, advise him and guide him on the entire test. Um, the, uh, of, course, uh, of course, we hear about it because the teacher went, well, actually, you, you was in, he, he was within the boundaries. Um, and so it's that kind of thinking um, that first and foremost was the reason why I, you know, I, I enjoy my daughters now at their, uh, at the college age. But it's that for me, that beautiful picture of what would it be like in every area of our, our life. And especially as we, as we talk about our relationship to faith uh, and to God, is that having him right there, right by our side. Um, and it becomes um, exponentially um, you know, obvious when, uh, when you're taking a test. But how much of this year has been like that same test for us? And I think about Jesus and his name, right? God with us, you know, Emmanuel, God with us, and that he's with us. So today, as we're in a series on, um, on dreams for CLC, as I'm a guest speaker, I'd say, what would be my dreams for you? Well, it would be to know and experience God in high definition, in a way that, um, that you were, um, that the nuance of what God wanted to do, what he was doing around you, and that every part of your life was more and more in sync. Um, and so uh, as we go through that today, that, uh, that is my prayer uh, for you as a congregation. And the first part of that is this, is that, and this is how I partly experienced it in my own life. The first part is this, meeting with Jesus is like food, right? That daily nutrients we want. But it's, it's also the analogy that Jesus uses about himself. He says, I am the bread of life. Uh, his uh, today, all over the world, Christians will celebrate communion. Um, in, in, in the, and in that picture of communion, and I've done this in, in other countries, and it's great in the sense that it means exactly the same from culture to culture, right? And so it's no accident that Jesus uses this metaphor. Um, and so this picture of meeting with Jesus is like food. Is, it's the example that he, he, um, he shares with us. And so many times we go right to the highlight reel of Jesus's ministry, but really, um, the thing that is just mentioned here and there, we see that he, uh, that Jesus had a way and a method to, to actually connecting with the Father, right? So if our deepest purpose in life is to glorify God and to enjoy him, this is something we should be doing every day. How do we build it in to our rhythm? And this is what we see Jesus doing. In Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 35, it says this, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you, but Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And so the story is in lostness. Early in the morning, Jesus would get up and he would go meet with the Father. In Luke 5, chapter 15, uh, uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 15, it says this about Jesus. Yet the news about him spread all the more. So uh, the crowds of people came near 
came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. So we see this pattern throughout all of Jesus's life that he would go, um, he would go off to pray and to be with the Father. And now, now don't don't let this get lost in that Jesus himself. Sometimes when we think about Jesus, we go, well, of course he was God. So how does he really need to pray? Yes, he did. And so Jesus is 100% God, but he's also 100% man. And what it says in Philippians chapter two is that when he came to earth, he set all of his glory aside. So when he's praying, he's walking through the same thing we experience. Father, what do you want me to do? Right? Um, now, he did have an advantage. Um, there was, because he was 100% God and 100% man, uh, he didn't have a sin nature. There was nothing blocking him. So his time with the Father was rich. We can imagine if, if there is nothing blocking your communication, and he was hearing him so well. So that's always, for me, that, um, the desire and the direction. How do I hear from God? How do, I, how do I block out as much stuff so his voice becomes louder and louder? His word speaks um, in, into, into our lives. And so, um, so when we're able, uh, when we're able to have that on as a regular pattern and a regular rhythm to our lives, um, we have this, we get connection, you experience direction. Um, you, it's for me, it's encouragement. Um, it's peace and it's also correction, right? Sometimes God will come in and go, wow, stop you in your tracks when you're listening to him. So here's, um, here's four rules of thumb for times with God. Now, some of these are known, but I really want to go over them. And each of these, you could almost say easily a, a sermon or a book within themselves. But I want to put them together just real brief, real as an overview to say, what does it look like for us to spend time with God in a way uh, that allows him to give direction? The first thing is this, we want to hear from God um, and, and experience him in a deep way. The first is scripture. The primary way God is going to speak to us is through scripture, right? And, and this is how I often think about it. That um, I think when I first became a Christian, I used to read scripture. And now I think about it as scripture reads me. I actually used to read a lot more. And now in daily, I sometimes just take little bits and, and, and smaller pieces of scripture and and just turn them over, so I really know them. Sometimes, sometimes I even will um, um, take a, a piece of scripture, put it down on a on a on a physical card, not even on my not even on my you know, you know my phone. I'll put them on a card, so every time I put my hand in my pocket, I'm like, oh, there it is, and I pull it out, and just to read it over and over and let it sink in. And the times that I've done that, those verses and those narratives stayed with me. And so God want, wants us to know his word and what it looks like. And, and if you think about God in the Old Testament, especially when he refers to himself, he refers to himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And so the people, he, he's expecting us to know, you know, the stories of Abraham and Isaac, that's who I am. Those were to be comfort for us. There were to be guides for us and that we have scripture. Um, there to be authoritative in our life. He wants us to have those stories so that we don't give up on things, so that we always have hope, so that we know that even when things 
are looking one way or another, that God, God doesn't leave us alone. And so scripture does that. It continues to remind us, right? It's sharper than, a, you know, than a two-edged sword. Um, and so uh, being in scripture, first and foremost, is the primary way that God's going to speak to us. The second thing I would say is this, is, is vulnerable prayer. It's unfiltered conversation with God. Not, not telling God what he thinks, like that what we think he might want to hear, um, but it's really coming to the Father with our hands open and sharing with him all of our hopes, sharing him with our fears and our hurts um, in, in a way that, that doesn't leave anything on the table. The things that we struggle with, everything gets put out, not in a way to justify it, but to say, Father, this is who I really am. This is what I'm, that's really bothering me right now. Um, uh, not just to talk about things that we think are spiritual, but to lay every area of our life barren before him. Um, and what happens, I think, when, we, when we're able to start to have vulnerable conversations, what many times you'll find is that, is that you'll start to understand God as a true father. And, uh, and I won't unpack all of that. But you really start to understand him, not as a judge, the policeman, whatever role he might play, but as, um, but as, a, as a father who loves us and, and cares for us at our deepest level. One thing I find in vulnerable prayer that is really helpful, and it's a little strange if you haven't done it, is to pray this out loud, to actually have the habit of praying out loud. To hear yourself say those, to, to hear yourself say the things, um, somehow it, for me, it empowers it in a completely different way. But at first, it's, it's a little strange. And if somebody walks in on you doing it, um, yeah, you can feel like, like uh, you've got to explain that you're really sane and you don't need, you know, medication. Um, I find that my, uh, that as I speak it and hear it myself, again, there's a process there, but it's, it's also, um, it's also a place that when uh, you, you are speaking it, it, you know, it, it tracks better, right? You, I, my mind doesn't wander off like, you know, like a Google search. I don't find any rabbit holes to go down. And I find that, I find that all of a sudden, the things I'm saying, um, you know, kind of, kind of feel heavier or feel different. Um, and this is what I found in, in, in doing this over the years, that as you spend time with God in, um, in vulnerable prayer, that you will get peace even when your circumstances aren't changing. Because sometimes God is doing things, but it's not yet. And so God will give you peace over those circumstances. And in fact, what I have found that I, I don't leave until I have peace with, with the Father over, the, over whatever's happening. And we're always getting assailed, you know, career, family, um, you know, what's, what's happening in our, our community or in our nation. And the other, th the other thing that can happen is this. Sometimes I will key, on an, key in on the things that are spiritual. Like this is a spiritual thing. And when there's action that God goes, it's time for you to do this. So I come away sometimes with more action steps. Now, one of the, sometimes this looks like this. I've come home at night with two daughters that are 16 months apart and when they were in their early teens, I would come home and it was not uncommon for them to be arguing or fighting. 
And I remember sometimes coming home and praying and feeling like, wait, God, is something going on here? And they're just going at each other. And I remember walking to my, the, back, the back of our house, just getting down on my knees and just praying for like three minutes, four minutes of saying, Father, this is your house. You know, would you, uh, you know, overwhelm the situation? If there's anything going on, is there anything you want me to do? Walking out of the bedroom and my daughters laughing together now in their room three minutes later. And it just hit me like, wow, sometimes, sometimes there's actually these things that pop up that are spiritual. And when you pray, they oftentimes will just dissipate, not because God is magic, but because the world is a spirit is a spiritual place. And it, but I didn't learn that until I started praying vulnerably to see what those things are. And whether that dissipated or not, those were always just my surprise. The third thing is this, is that after vulnerable prayer, it's active listening. God, what do you want to tell me? How do I spend time just in, just being quiet, clearing my mind and asking God, what, what is it that you want to say in my life? And let him bring things up. You know, Andrew Murray, who was in the 19th century, um, he said it this way, prayer is not a monologue, but a dialogue. God's voice in response to mine, it is the most essential part. Another one of my friends who's a church planner in Africa, and he's from, he's from West Africa. He said, he, we were talking about this one day, and he said, you know, how can, how can you have um, a relationship with somebody if you do all the talking? And it hit me because much of my life was me doing all the talking with God. Um, and when I took time and when we take time to stop and listen to God and make it an active part. Now, I know people do this differently, right? I often write things down. I know I have close friends who all they do in listening to God is journal and write things down. But it's that idea of finding your place of listening and taking time to listen to God as much as we speak to him. And the, uh, the fourth part um, after active listening would be surrender. It's so important. Um, it's so important not to assume, but just say, God, every day, God, here's my family. Here's my life. Here's my resources. Here's the, and wh whatever we come away from in our time with God to say, God, I give these things to you. Your will be done, not mine. What do you want to do? I look forward to that. I've given you the circumstance, but you're the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know the future. So I surrender. Help me understand what you want to do. And so it's so important, uh, so important to place your family, to place your career, to place every part of your life, just daily back to the Father and say, here, it's your money. What do you want to do with it? My time today is your time. Is there something you would like me to do? But that surrendering of that uh, surrendering of that time is key, um, you know, is key to seeing what God would what God would do. If you want to experience God in high definition, again, this is not exhaustive, but just as a rule, just as a rule of thumb. Now, when when what, another experience is this, and I don't know if any of you have had this experience, and I, I go to this because it says early in the morning Jesus, you know, got up. Well, sure enough. God sometimes will get, get me up early. And I've had seasons where God would get you up early. And I have friends and some of you in the church, maybe that God would wake you up and like, oh, 
um, do you want to spend um, do you want to spend time together? So when God wants to spend time with you, it is amazing. If you get up early in the morning, um, I had a conversation with one of my friends about this also, and um, and I said um, I said you know you ever have that? And he goes, oh yes, happens all the time. And so here in, and my friend was actually a missionary and I'm like, what happens? And, um, and, uh, and so his, his name is, his, his name is Shadonke Johnson. And Shadonke says, says to me, he, uh, he says, um, well, there is this thing that happens. He goes, yes. He says, spending and spending time with the Lord. He says, you receive a deeper rest than any sleep can provide. And I was like, well, I didn't hear that when I went to seminary but it sounds strangely, strangely biblical. And, and what it did was it emboldened me that if God wakes me up, that I can get up and not have to worry about, right? If it, it, I, I don't have to worry that I'm gonna be exhausted at the end of the day. He will always make it up. Um, he will always provide. And sure enough, because there were times where, there were times that as God has gotten me up, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, where he's gotten me up incredibly early in the morning. And at the end of the day, I, I don't feel like I, I've missed any sleep. It's, um, it's, an, it's an amazing, empowering thing to say, boy, if he wakes me up early, I can jump up and I think the Father uh, will be good. So those constantly checking in with God during the day, with all of those things, surrendering, right? Going into every meeting you walk into, God, is there something you want to do here? Is there something you want to teach me? developing those as a habit. When you start to do that, that's the food that we live on spiritually, that all of a sudden, um, when you're in that, when we have that sort of close relationship with God um, in, in, in some of those practices, what you find is that it, Jesus starts to come alive in these different areas of your life. You know, if Jesus needed to spend time with the Father, on a regular basis to do his ministry, how much more we, we do. Um, and, and I believe there is some correlation between the, the quality and quantity of time we spend with the Father and then the results that we receive in experiencing the closeness of God. And he loves to be close with us. You know, over and over in the, in the, old, um, in the old Testament especially, and it, and it carries all the way to the book of revelations it says i will be their god and they will be my people it's his deepest desire that we glorify him but that he says my desire is that i will be your god and you'll be my people he loves to be with us he loves to meet with us and taking time to build that in uh into um, our lives to listen to him to be vulnerable with him to place all of our cards on the table is incredibly um, important and it allows us. So then that's when you experience the peace, the affection, the direction and, and God's wonderful personality. And, um, and God goes from over there, you know, for something way up there and removed to very, very close. Um, and, and also for me, it becomes, his voice becomes more authoritarian. And so, what I find that why this is my prayer for you as a community is because um, for CLC that deep times with God are going to lead to deeper conversations with one another. The church becomes something like I don't want to miss out on, right? Our times together, whether it's in a small group or a, you know, 
any time because when God is speaking to you and you share that with other people, you all of a sudden go down, you go into places that are amazingly fulfilling. Right? And so God's desire for, um, for the CLC community, I believe, is to have these deep conversations where when God is speaking to you, that that time with God, you know, is going to, it translates to other people. You know, to parents, I would always say this, as far down the road as you go with God, you, you bring your children and your family with you, right? And it's the same with all of us. The further we go into connecting deeply with the Father, your friends, the group, it, it, there, there, is, there is an effect to that. And so, um, and so if meeting with God, like, um, uh, if meeting with Jesus is like food, then the second thing that I believe really builds um, a, a high def definition time in, in faith, it's obeying God is like dessert. Now, forgive me, I couldn't think of a better analogy, but, but it's the obeying God is the good stuff. And when you think about obedience, I, I don't naturally go, oh, it's, you know, oh, I can't wait to obey. Oh, oh obeying especially within our culture always feels like um it feels authoritarian it feels like you know you know i'm less than i got to obey it's what i made my two-year-old do when they were cranky you're going to bed it's nap time it's time to obey right i'm bringing the hammer down and so we don't want to we don't want a faith that feels that way we don't want a god who's like obey me no okay i'll do it. you know that's not right that's not it but it's the key to experiencing. And this is why it's the good stuff, right? So one of the key passages in the New Testament, Jesus's last words, the Great Commission, we call it, Matthew 28, 16. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, and he's them, his, his, his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I love that. Uh, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and, yeah, here's how you disciple people, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. There's so much packed into that, but sometimes we, I, this is, this verse in the last few years has become so key, teaching them to obey. It's obedience, obeying God, even when you don't understand the outcome, Something happens. Some, there's a triggering mechanism, right? And remember, Jesus, in our first passage, when they go looking for him because he's got up early, he comes down and what does he say? He goes, we must go to these other villages. In his time with God, we can assume that I was who was praying. God says, it's time for you to go. And he went. He was such an obedience to the Father. They said, hey, Jesus, when will you come and set up the kingdom? And what did Jesus say? He goes, I don't know. The father hasn't revealed that to me yet. What do you mean? Jesus? So you can see where Jesus operated from, right? He operated from this place of always connecting to God. What's next? What's next? Right? And so let me go over just a few things about obedience that I want you to encourage you with. Uh, obedience versus is faith come to life, right? This is how our faith comes to life. This is where we interact and, and, you know, um, and the things that we believe actually manifest themselves. In fact, if you thought, if you really think about it, obedience is the best measure of spiritual maturity. 
Because often it's easy to say, well, it's knowledge. How much do you know about God? But it's really obedience. What, how do you take that knowledge and place it into action? Because, um, you know, I, I believe that the difference between our knowledge and our obedience, the difference between the two is pride. I know a lot, but I'm actually not doing it, right? And we're seeing that in this time period of people taking our faith and melding it to like, you know, our politics in different ways. Obedience is the best way. God, what are you calling me to do to keep us uh, from, uh, from that, um, from that uh, place of, of pride, from the place of, 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 of just being stagnant? Um, obedience also it places God in its rightful position you know God what do you say I will do what you say I might not understand it I don't need to understand it I'll place but it places God in his rightful place because when we come to the father and we say what do you want me to do then um, then automatically uh, we're not using God as a spiritual consultant or God I'll obey you in the things that make the most sense to me which is really easy to do um, but to obey God and take him at his word, right? Did Jesus really mean what he meant with the Beatitudes? I think he did, right? I don't think it was just a guideline, right? Um, and so if we're able to take those good things and obey him, then those other verses that comfort us, we can take those too. Don't you know that you're worth many, much more than many sparrows and even the, the hairs on your head are numbered, right? We can take those verses too to a yes, right? We can obey him. And the other side of obedience places God in his rightful place is that uh, obedience takes us out of the equation. We get out of God's way. We obey him so that he can actually do the work, right? Um, my, my coach used to, one of my coaches used to say this to me, and it was really simple. He'd say, hey, Venable, don't think you'll hurt the team. And he was true, right? I'd, <laughs> right? In, run, in running whatever play we're running, it's like, no, no, stick to the plan, right? don't don't go your own way and so this is that place where sometimes god will call us and there's many times where god will say do this well then what then i got to close the deal no i have other people coming after you just do what i'm asking you to do and i've had that experience with the god many many times um but it, but taking ourselves out of the equation and this is again boy i i can told i'd love to do a whole series on this this is where this is where so often in our faith, our confusion can come from praying about the right things, but, but God not answering prayer the way we think he's going to answer it. Many times it's because I'm still in the equation. God, I want you to fix my children, but you know, here's the way I want you to do it. God's like, I can't do it that way. Why? Because you're still in the, yeah, you're, you're still on the way. You gotta, you gotta surrender it and completely away. Yeah. Obedience also does this. When we obey God, it has this restorative property to it so not only does it does obedience take us out of the equation it actually restores us we think when we do something wrong right that god is going to punish us but what he desires is obedience and that's what repentance is repentance isn't feeling sorry repentance is actually turning and following right it's, it's actually turning and, and posturing ourselves differently like think about peter when he denied jesus three times um jesus didn't come and be like hey peter you know did did you say something about me? He didn't come and try to ask questions and trap him. He, he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Then he says, what? Feed my sheep. Oh, 
he, he gives them something to do. Obey me in this way. So Peter goes, he, from that place, Peter then becomes the head of the church in Jerusalem. We see later in, in Acts 15. Um, and so obedience has this way of restoring these things that are broken within our own lives when we obey God. And I believe that it, it's, it's a ripple effect that goes through our, our relationships, our, our, um, you know, our connection to the Father, um, into, uh, into creation. I think that every time we obey God, it has these wonderful restorative things uh, that happen without us even beginning to know, uh, know. But most importantly, obedience really is about, um, about God being glorified. When we, it's, 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 it's one of the best ways that, that we show God that we love him. Remember 1 Samuel, to obey is better than sacrifice, right? So God is glorified through our obedience. Now, um, when God, um, um, now I always, I've always seen this. When God asks us to obey things, it's not always a straight line, but it's almost always based in scripture. But sometimes he's asking us to do things that we don't see the future on. Um, and those are the times where it can feel like a wild goose chase. And that's why you need to have a community of faith to go, no, you should do it. Good people around you, if, you, if, if, if they're available, to bounce those things um, off of and to speak deeply. I think he's calling us to do this. Like God one time called, and I'm going to use this as an example, even though I don't like to use personal examples in this way. But it was one of these really fun times where God told us um, uh, to do something, uh, my wife and I to do something. Um, and my wife, one time, she came home uh, from um, a ministry meeting and told me about one of the women um, that um, we knew, and her, her and her husband were in the middle of being separated. Um, and it was, just, it was just a really hard story. Um, he, uh, he was running a construction company. They weren't getting along well. Uh, he, they were running it out of, you know, they were running it out of their own personal bank account. And so he got over leveraged right? Um, had to declare bankruptcy. And so the long story was that she then found out that um, they had to get rid of the car that they had. He had run up, unbeknownst to her, a bunch of, a bunch of debt in her name with her social security number. And so she had to get rid of a car that they owed more money on than it was worth. And she had young children, they were separating and it was a mess. And so my wife tells me the story and immediately I do the godly thing. And I think to myself, man, I would, I would set that up at least as an LLP. I don't know why he would set up his company and just run it out of their own personal bank account. Right. So that's as far as I go with it. Right. And so, um, so then what ends up happening is that God starts to convict me over and over. He keeps telling me, you should give them our car. We had this Audi. So you should give them the Audi. And God just kept hitting me, give him the Audi, give him the Audi. A day later, my wife Pam comes to me and she goes, she goes, Eric, I, I keep thinking, I can't get rid of this slot. And I looked at her and says, we should give them the Audi. She goes, yes. How do you know that? I go, because God's been telling me the same thing. And so then we, so we make an appointment. We go over, we hand her the keys and the pink slip, you know, to, to the car. We don't have any plan, but that one. While we're meeting with her, to give her the car because we know that she needs it. Um, the neighbor down the street comes in and says, Hey, do you like your big SUV? And she goes, yeah. And she hands him the keys and go, go look at it. You know, cause they go, we're thinking about getting one. 
15 minutes later, they drive it and they say, she says, well, yeah, I have to get rid of this car. Our payment is this. I can't afford it. And they go, they talk, they come back and they go, um, we'll, uh, we would like to take over the lease payment on your car. She didn't have the money to actually turn the car in because it was going to be thousands of dollars that she was upside down in this loan. And so in taking that over, God said, oh, yes, here's the rest of our plan. And when God starts doing that, you never, you, that is one of the highlight stories. And it was a huge decision at that time to give away one of our vehicles. And I say they don't like sharing that because the the hero of the story is what the, what the father was doing. Uh, My wife and I felt like, God, you gave us this car. We give it along. It's what you were doing. And then after that, what God did is a story for another day. But I'm telling you, the adventure of faith is when you're listening to God and he tells you to do something. And when you do it and you obey, that's when things happen. God shows up. Faith comes to life. Um, And sometimes it happens later. Sometimes like in that story, which was really, it happened during the time we're over there that you watch God just heal this whole situation and take care of this whole um, situation with this dear woman that we, we loved. Yeah. Um, Watchman Nee said it this way. Our prayers lay down, lay the track down on which God's power can come like a mighty locomotive. His power is irresistible, but it cannot reach us without rails. I love that picture that he gives and if you haven't read any Watchman Nee's, if you haven't read any of his books, uh, he's, he's just an incredibly uh, gifted, gifted um, uh, saint who uh, went before us. And so as we close our time, let me say this. Here's my dreams, as I've talked about for CLC, that you would walk in closeness and affection to the Father, that you would meet with Jesus regularly and have the most important and vulnerable conversations, that that would increase. And then you would experience God in high definition by obeying him in ways that challenge you. And so two questions that I would ask you is this. Number one, how could your time with God be deeper in 2021? Don't make every change, but is there one change that you could do? And then who will you tell about it? The second thing is this, what do you think would happen if you ask God daily, what do you need me to obey? If you were constantly asking God that question during the day, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thanks for your time this morning. And Father, I ask um, that for all of us, that we would grow in our affection and our obedience with you that you would uh, help us build a different rhythm into our life so that uh, your voice would become louder and louder. And Father, we want to experience more of who you are. And you are wonderful. And you are uh, uh, bigger than we can imagine. And in you and you alone, do we find peace? And do we find um, the deepest meaning of why we were created? So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us that deep desire as our spirit would cry out, Abba, Father, to constantly uh, be reaching out to you, Father. And for each of us, Father, for each of my friends, show us how you would like, uh, how that would fit into each of our personalities and into our rhythm. 
And we pray this, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Thank you, guys.